Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have on the pod, Betsy Morgan. She is the co-founder of Magnet Companies, and she's also a board member of TripAdvisor, which I think we've all used one or a hundred times. And I've been trying to have Betsy on here for quite some time, so I'm very excited that you're here today. Hi, Betsy. Hi, JJ. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for actually coming on and making the time. I know you're super busy. Um, she also is the magnet companies is an investor in Dear Media. So, you know, I feel like a lot of pressure to be really good today. <laughs> you're gonna be fabulous. You're gonna be fabulous. <laughs> um, so let's start by, you know, what is magnet companies? What's there? What's um, there? That's a great place to start. Uh, I have two business partners based in Los Angeles. I'm based in New York. We have been together as a group for six years now. Um, That's right. Yeah, six years. And we are operators and investors. So we are backed by middle market private equity. And we have bought and built companies. Um, We have three companies actively in our portfolio right now. One of them is Dear Media. That's an investment that we made right before COVID. An audio podcasting company that we adore that has grown like a crazy, crazy weed in the pandemic, um, servicing mostly women, about 70 podcasts in the family and in the network. The most prominent podcaster, sort of one of the longest running podcasts is The Skinny Confidential that Lauren and Michael um, do and run, which is a fantastic podcast. We also have built a beauty business from the ground up um, that has an interesting story as of last night, which I'll share. And that is called that beauty business it's a fake eyelash business is there is our kind of first big product um, we launched that in covid with Jenna Lyons and everyone remembers Jenna Lyons as the former um, creative director at J crew Mickey Drexler's right hand person she is a fantastic human being and a fantastic curator and uh, she has helped us make a really beautiful lash that uh, we sell online so DTC and also in about 800 doors in Target The fun fact about Jenna is that last night um, she was on Jimmy Kimmel and she put lashes on Jimmy 
and they looked our lashes on Jimmy and they looked absolutely fabulous. So that's blowing up on that's blowing up on Instagram right now. And the reason that Jenna was on Jimmy Kimmel was in part to talk about our eyelash business, but also uh, because she is part of this season's Real Housewives of New York. And that show will debut in June and they're taping it now. Wait, what? And what's the name of that company? And that company is called Love Scene, L-O-V-E-S-E-E-N. So Amazing. check it out online. Wow. Um, our third company, and actually the company that I'm probably spending the most amount of time on currently, is a women in sport company called Together. And the last E in Together is replaced with an X. So it's Together with a Funky Spelling. We started that company in... It's just about two years old, launched just about two years ago. Um, The impetus to start that women in sport content company to showcase stories of female professional athletes was Alex Morgan, Mm -hmm. um, who's one of our business partners. Alex, as everyone knows, is a fantastic soccer slash football player, depending on what country you're in. And other partners, um, other athletes, Olympic athletes in that company include Sue Bird, the basketball player who just retired. Simone Manuel, who's an African-American Olympic medalist swimmer, and Chloe Kim, who's an Asian-American snowboarder um, with two gold medals under her belt. So super, super diverse founding athletes team, um, really amazing team of content creators showcasing professional content, um, professional content from and the personalities of a lot of athletes across lots and lots and lots of different sports. We define sports really broadly and showcasing some amateur athletes too. We've done a great series with Tom Brady's niece, Maya Brady, who's a softball player at, I believe, UCLA and totally, totally crushing it. And we believe we built that business, JJ, to really kind of think about what else we could be doing for women in sport. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is in so many ways, in so many categories, under monetized, um, underexposed. The media rights in women's sports are a tiny fraction of the men's um, of the men's media rights. And look, we get you know female athletes represent half of the athletes in this country, and we get four percent of the airtime. Mm-hmm. So you and I could talk all day long yeah. about the money that's being made in male sports and the money that should be made in female sports, which in a lot of ways is just as exciting and just as compelling and has um, even cooler personalities than the guys. So those are the three companies. So is magnet companies like private equity, you, you build things from, so you build things from the ground up to the three companies and a third mm-hmm. dear media was an investment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what you get money from other people, LPs, they put it in and then, Okay, so so we have one we have one benefactor. Um, oh, so we wow. have one private equity firm that has backed these companies. And the idea, really, kind of starting these companies again before COVID and through COVID, was could we prove out the thesis and the categories that we were interested in, and then could you take that thesis um, and that success of that category and acquire other companies? So in the example of women in sport, what we what we have with the success of Together is a calling card to go look at sports teams, adjacent sports businesses, sports data businesses, you know, other things in the space. Right. And then so will together be a is it like a channel or it's like like how do we you access it? So you access together through social media. 
the revenue stream. So there's three revenue streams in that business right now. One is branded sponsorships, right? You have um, so many global advertisers that want to put more money against women's sports and female athletes, and they have stepped up in a huge way. We have advertisers like Geico and Google and Porsche and Buick and Nike as our sort of flagship starting advertisers. Again, that this is a business that's only a couple years old. We have also sold shows to the streamers. So we've sold shows to CBS Sports and to Amazon. We have a fantastic um, series that's coming to Amazon later this year on um, surfers in Oahu, these surf girls who are amazing and interesting and young and they have won crazy, crazy awards in the surf space. They are far more badass than the boy surfers. Yeah, you know, we were just in Oahu. We were just in Hawaii and we went up to the North Shore and I saw this group of girls like, and they were all like, they were so good. They were out there on the pipeline, like surfing with all the guys and like, they weren't that old. Like they're no, young. they're young. They're bad and they are bad ass surfers. And they are, I mean, they obviously, these gals have great strength. They don't have the size of the guys. They maneuver and manipulate the boards so much better. I mean, they really are in touch with the with the waves. And those are because you saw JJ, like those are big ass waves. Those are big ass waves. And they're they hit really close to shore. So you're like, you know, yeah. just getting out there. I can't even imagine the strength. <laughs> no, it's crazy. And then our third like, revenue stream for together is commerce, right? So we've done a couple collabs with uh, Nike, with some other brands, you know, because we want our audience, our female audience, wearing our stuff, showcasing the merchandise and just having access to, you know, really interesting, cool clothes. Amazing. And so tell us how Betsy Morgan got to this place. How did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Um, so I've had a funky, funky career in a bunch of different chapters, and I've been very, very lucky to work on kind of different sides of the aisle in different ways. I spent most of my career, I'm a, I'm a business person by training, went to business school, uh, worked in finance, worked on Wall Street, coming out of business school. And then my my career on the operating side was a couple different chapters, one in established media. I worked in traditional media for a decade working for CBS and CBS News. So in the news and information space, worked and lived through the Gulf War, worked and lived through 9-11, you know, some many, many presidential elections, some really, really sort of historic moments in the news space. And How did you transition though from Wall Street to CBS? Like what was that like? Well, and what was the actual job at, at CBS? Yeah, it's a great question. So I went into banking coming out of business school because it was really the only job I could get because at that time in the world of entertainment, people hired lawyers, they didn't hire business people. So nobody wanted me at Disney or any of those other places. It's obviously changed. This was a long, long time ago. But I did have really good finance skills. So I knew that if I could showcase those finance skills, I would get to an operating company company from an investment bank. And I was a lousy investment banker, um, frankly. And it was not a it was not a career. It was not that was not a not a place I wanted to stay. So I leveraged my investment banking experience to get a job at an operating company, kind of in a finance business capacity. But I knew at that operating operating company, I wanted to run a business division, that I wanted to um, be an operator, be a leader, be a manager, 
um, oversee content. And I was able to do that at CBS super, super successfully. I had a very large group of people that worked for me at CBS News. We built um, some tremendous digital assets. We launched uh, a number of different news shows. It was a super, super great time to be there in broadcast news. The hard thing about legacy media is that it's legacy media and it's always going to protect its brand. It's always going to protect the um, analog business more than the digital business. And none of the folks there wanted to break enough rules. I wanted to break so much glass. And so at the 10 year mark, I kind of had a midlife crisis. I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, I can't break enough glass. I can't, I'm not going to change. The system is so much bigger than me in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be able to change the system. So I left um, in 2007. And as an aside, I've represented a few people at CBS and yeah. I was talking to the talent person and they were, they had like 10 people celebrating a 50 year anniversary working at CBS. And I was like, is that a good thing? Like, it's great that people could work there for 50 years, but a lot has changed in 50 years. So I'm like, it just goes to show you that was just that month. Okay. They had a ton of people and I'm like, yep. it just goes to show you how little they were adapting with the time. You know me totally, totally, and it has, and you know, and it hasn't, it hasn't changed. It's still, you know, it's why they call it the establishment, right? Yeah. So in 2007, I did something very, very, you know, what was sort of radical at the time, and all my bosses, including Leslie Moonves, who was still at CBS at the time, that I was nuts and that I was ruining my career um, <laughs> to leave CBS to go be the first CEO of the Huffington Post. Amazing. So which was amazing and fun. Ariana was a tremendous business partner and, you know, kind of two women on one on the journalism creative side and another on the business side. And that was me leading that, um, that business, which was at its inception, kind of a ragtag group of people that wanted to break a lot of glass, young people that wanted to break a lot of glass and do different things in the news and information space and push the envelope. And, you know, we really set the place on fire in a good way. So that was super, super fun. Ariana was a terrific business partner. I actually just saw her last weekend and uh, she looks as fantastic today as she did, you know, 15 years ago when we worked together. She really is a force of nature. And that was, you know, HuffPost had a had a fantastic meteoric rise and then a sell to AOL in 2011. And at that time, what I really missed, JJ, in the, in the space was I missed being in the video space. I mean, HuffPost did a little bit of video once they were part of AOL with HuffPost Live. I wasn't there for that. But they, it was really mostly sort of a text-based business. And that's where it's always had its greatest success, not on the video side. And I missed video and I missed, I missed television. You know, digital video was kind of just getting started. And the streamers, um, Netflix was in, in existence, but the streamers, as we know it, weren't in existence. So I decided to go not for political reasons, but purely for business reasons to the other side of the um, political spectrum and join Glenn Beck at a company called The Blaze as he was developing his over-the-top OTT subscription business. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting to me because I hadn't worked in subscription before. It was interesting to me because everybody said that his audience, he was leaving Fox News at the time, was never going to be digitally native and watch him on the computer, which of course they all did. It was not that hard to figure out how to get a subscription and watch uh, this new network on other devices. And we built a very, very robust, with the help of of Glenn's business partner, Chris Balf, we built a really, really robust OTT business and really in a lot of ways kind of launched 
the idea for so many other channels that then followed with subscription businesses. So a real kind of strange group of pioneers in the space, um, but super, super fun. And what was... Wait, so for people who don't know, what does OTT stand for? Over the top. So not a cable channel, not something you get as part of your cable package. What's very normal now was not normal then, um, which was a subscription business. So really back then, the only thing, the only game in town was um, Netflix. Hulu then came along. But all the subscription businesses that we buy now, you know, very regularly as consumers, was very, very early in their nascent days back then. Wasn't it, um, weren't you a little concerned about working for Glenn Beck after Ariana Huffington and like being a woman who you're, and you're super, you know, obviously supportive of other women, et cetera? So here's what's interesting about Glenn. Um, one, I really wanted a chance to see and understand his audience, which was very, very different than Ariana's audience and very different than the CBS News audience. So there was a high degree of curiosity on on my part on kind of what that center-right uh, audience looked like. Um, Glenn moved about six months into my joining um, The Blaze. He moved down to Texas to be kind of closer to his audience. It was a great move for him ideologically to really kind of understand his audience in a better way. He was in New York before that. And Glenn and Ariana, in a lot of ways, they met. Um, we actually all had lunch together during my time at The Blaze. They are very much the same person They, in that, obviously, their ideology is very, very different, but they are both um, passionate people. They're enormously creative. They know how to tell a story. They know how to market themselves. They shared a lot of interesting qualities. They actually got along um, very well when we all met up together. And Glenn was... Glenn had a lot of women on his team, was very, very supportive of um, women, had a lot of women on his team before I joined him. And it was a great, you know, it was a sort of great fun experience. I have to say that um, I was not well received in Texas in sort of the earliest days. They wanted to know, you know, why this girl from the Upper West Side in New York City who had just run the Huffington Post, what she knew about conservative media or um, the center right. And I didn't know a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. I I had come from um, a very kind of liberal news and information background, uh, both at CBS News and obviously at the HuffPost that was very unapologetically left. But I'm a good listener and I learned and I, you know, really believed in that audience and believed what they were interested in, what they had to say. And, you know, I think we did a really good job for them, you know, in the time that I was there. Right. So interesting. I mean, you nailed some, you said something that a lot of my guests talk about and it's like how they're able to succeed is to stay curious, right? Instead of just saying, I would never go work for something like that. I would, you know, and by the way, you know, it added to your uh, cadre of experience, right? And because you were, you were open-minded and curious about it. I don't know if I could be as open-minded as you. You know, JJ, you've, you've experienced this in your career, you know, which has been long and varied as well. Like, it's a really amazing quality to be a good listener, right? And yeah. to be, you know, as you are in service to a company, to an individual, to an idea, to really kind of listen to like where that person's coming from and what is on their mind and what they're worried about and what they believe in and don't believe that believe in. And, you know, I felt like I did that successful successfully with Ariana and with Glenn and in, in both cases in different ways, um, 
being a good listener means you can open up those people to new ideas, right? Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, one of the um, one of the most fun things that we did with Glenn was, you know, he was he's a real entrepreneur at heart, and he was very very curious about. Silicon Valley. And we took him on a big trip out to Silicon Valley to, you know, meet the Elon Musk's of the world um, and meet the sort of the Peter Thiel's of the world and the next generation of entrepreneurs. And that was not ideological at all. That was not about social issues at all or economic issues. It was really just about the value of great entrepreneurship and, you know, all the tremendous changes that were happening out West. And Glenn was able to bring a lot of that knowledge back to his audience. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think we might've sold a couple more Teslas in uh, Dallas from that experience. That's good. Um, All right. So how long were you there? So I was there, I was with Glenn until 2015. And then the summer of 2015, as everyone will remember, was um, the start of the election cycle, right? At really kind of the start of the rise of President Trump. I had lived through so many presidential election cycles, you know, kind of going back to the late 90s. I did not have it in me for another one. I have to say that our team at The Blaze very much had seen kind of firsthand the rise of what would then become the Trump era. Um, We had sort of seen it from our audience. We had seen just a real kind of distrust of mainstream media and a real frustration from that audience, you know, many, many, many of whom had voted for Trump over Senator Clinton in 16. Um, I had had, I feel like my work had been done in the news and information space. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been in that space for 15, 16 years. I had done great work. I had seen the rise of the digital revolution. Um, I had built two digital native companies. I was done being, you know, in the news space. I also had a pretty big task when I came back to New York. You know, I had never left my home in New York and my daughter uh, goes to school here and my husband works here. But I commuted to Dallas very, very frequently for those four years. And kind of coming back to New York and settling back in New York, I had a little bit of penance to do. You know, there were a lot of people that um, I lost as colleagues because of my um, choice to go work on the other side of the ideological aisle. And, you know, I, I wanted to come back and come back to the city and sort of rest and um, regain some of my friends and some of the trust of people that I loved in the media space. And so I hung out here for, you know, a couple of years before finding my two business partners and starting Magna. That is, wow, that's so interesting. Like some people were like, I'm not your friend anymore because you're going to work there. Oh, totally, totally. And I think, JJ, I feel like there are other people that have had very, very similar experiences, right? You talk to anyone who has worked in, you know, who worked in the um, Bush administration or the Clinton administration or the Trump Mm -hmm. administration, and then they kind of go back to their, um, their places of origin. And yeah, and you just have to, as a business person and as a human, say, I'm the same person that I was, you know, before. And I have a strong set of values and a lot of skills to offer. And, you know, New York is a can be a tough and unforgiving place. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy to be back in New York and, and continue to be happy to be a New Yorker. So but for a while, when I met you, weren't you an executive in residence? 
at Lion I was, Tree? and that was so the um, the kind and good folks at Lion Tree Advisors took me in as an executive in residence for a couple of years. For me, that was a great way to kind of get out of the micro of this sort of digital native, how you build these businesses, kind of day-to-day blocking and tackling, getting subscribers, getting advertisers, and kind of look up into the macro of what was happening in the um, media and consumer landscape. So it was a fantastic perch for me to help the team at Lion Tree. I had been, I think I told you I had been a banker at the beginning of my career. So I knew what that space looked like. I knew how to help them broaden their client base. And they were a really fun group to hang out with for a bunch of years. What does that mean though, an executive in residence? What does that mean that you do there? So for me, it was a loose title and a um, loose set of responsibilities. It was uh, an opportunity for me to open my network of both male and female executives um, to their banking network. So as they thought about, you know, what's interesting is historically investment banks, you know, kind of going back into the 80s and 90s were very segmented. You were a telecom banker, you were a media banker, you covered cable companies, you covered, you know, different sort of, you covered broadcast companies, you covered very, very different slices of the sort of public company media pie. That's all broadened in a very spectacular way probably in the last five or six years. So Lion Tree was in the in the process of moving from being a bank, a, a private, small advisory firm that worked on a lot of cable deals to being a bank that worked on a lot of media deals. And, and media was much more broadly defined as consumer. So if you look at Lion Tree's portfolio of clients these days, Sure, they include some traditional media companies. They were very involved um, in the AT&T Discovery deal. They've been very involved in a lot of telecom deals. They did a, um, a Time Order Charter deal way back when. But they also now do a lot of deals in music. They do a lot of deals yeah. in consumer and tech. Um, they've got a B2B business. So as all of that kind of consumer and content blends. They're in the retail space. You know, they've just been a more responsive um, advisory firm. Yeah, amazing. And so you got to, because we met when I was at Superfly and, mm-hmm. you know, we were raising money and we were, and you were like kind of introducing us to other people. And yeah, so it's just interesting. I just love for the audience to hear ways that you, things that you can do in different industries that, you know, never knew. Like when I graduated college and they were just sending me on insurance sales or, you know, you know, wine distribution, you know, I was like, this is not what I want to do. I didn't know, you know, so I was like, I guess I'll be a lawyer because that's what I see on TV. And there's all these different, you know, things that you can do. And your career can take you in all these different ways as, as yours has, you know? Um, all right. So let's go back to Magnet and what you're doing now. So how are you growing this? What's the next, what's the future for, for Magnet? So Magnet's looking at, we're looking at a lot of professional sports teams on the female side. We believe that on the WNBA side and the NWSL side, which is soccer in America, that there are a lot of opportunities to um, grow asset value. And there are a lot of opportunities to operate these companies better. So if you take just the WNBA as an example, many WNBA teams are still owned by NBA teams, right? So they're the little sister to the um, to the big brother team, the big moneymaker. 
And from a valuation standpoint, NBA teams have traded in the kind of three to five billion dollar category, you know, as teams have traded hands over over the last few years. The most recent deal obviously being the Phoenix Suns trading hands at a you know valuation, I believe, close to four billion dollars. On the WNBA side, which you could argue is as interesting and as compelling as the men. Yes, there is not. We have Sue Bird and the men have um, LeBron. I think Sue Bird is much more awesome. (laughs) Um, On the valuation side for the WNBA teams, those teams are valued more like $100 to $200 million. So a huge, huge delta in valuation, a huge delta in... um, team and ticket sales and merchandise sales and media rights. And we really believe, and we're not the only folks in the space doing this, that those teams have been under, those women's teams have been underinvested in. And another example I would give on the soccer side is American women soccer players, football and the rest of the world are among the best in the world, right? World Cup winners, Olympic winners, our women here are better than many, many, many of the gals in Europe and around the world. Mm-hmm. Yet, our soccer league here is nascent and small. There are 12 teams. Um, they're small. There'll be several expansion teams, you know, being announced over um, the next 12 months. That league is getting better by the day. They are negotiating new media rights. They are negotiating new sponsorship deals. But there's a long way to go Um for those women to have the audience and the and the money and the exposure that MLS has, Major League Soccer has here in the United States, and also that um, football has globally. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, that is, I mean, so great to hear for so many different reasons, but it's like, you know, sports is just, it's always the thing that bonds men together and bring, you know what I mean? And it's like, if you don't play, you watch or you manage or whatever it is. And, you know, I think it's such a great bonding experience and a way to learn how to really play on a team in general, you know, in your life. You understand strengths and weaknesses and how you can participate no matter what, even if it's a fan. And so I love exposing this more and more to women. I just had Jenny just on about like uh, playing poker, you know, and all of these things that have been traditionally male, you know, that do it, play it, whatever. I've had Ashley Priori, who was world, uh, um, she was a chess champion, one of the only women, she's only 22, you know, on here as well. And how much that helps. And whatever reason, you know, we're like, either not interested or not, you know, encouraged to do these kinds of male focused things, but they help you so much in life and in business. And I, and I love what you're doing there. So thank you, Betsy Morgan. And thank you for being on here today. I know you have other things to do. So I will um, ask you my one question that I ask every single person that I have on here. And what is the worst advice you've ever received? Um, the worst advice I've ever received, and I actually gave this advice for many years um, to people. So not only did I get this advice, I like shared it, and I now very much regret it, which was, it's a little bit of a stay in your lane advice, which is, and it feels a little antiquated and dated now, that if you're, and I'll you know speak to media specifically, but applies to other companies, um, other 
sectors as well. If you're a big media person, if you're a big corporate establishment establishment um, corporate person, stay in your lane and and you'll never be an entrepreneur, right? Like you got to pick. You got to be either a corporate person or an entrepreneur. And now as somebody who's done both, you know, I've ridden the corporate gravy train and been successful at it. And I've also ridden the, the entrepreneurship gravy train and been successful at that. I believe that particularly as women, um, we can be a lot more flexible than the marketplace says we can be. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, stay in your lane, you're a lawyer, you should always be a lawyer, do what you're going you know, to do what you were trained to do. And you want to do something different. You want to start a beauty brand. You want to be an entrepreneur. Um, you want to be responsible for yourself and your revenue. Absolutely. Don't think twice. Don't yeah. think twice. And don't let anyone in the marketplace, male or, or female, say, stay in your lane. I feel like I've been in a lot of different lanes and I've been successful in a lot of different lanes. And uh, and for a long time, I didn't give that advice. And I wish mm-hmm. I had. Yeah. No, that's very true. I mean, if I stayed in my lane, I would be more, I'd be way, I'd be miserable and less successful for sure. Yep. You know exactly. what I mean? And, um, and for women, it's a lot, lot more flexibility that we want, mm-hmm. you know, to do your own thing. What people don't realize is they think if, you know, you make $250,000 in a corporate situation and $250,000 as an entrepreneur, you're taking home a lot more money. Yep. <laughs> a lot more money. Um, you know, and when you're an entrepreneur, um, the way taxes work and, you know, just even like looking those kinds of benefits up and under really understanding that is so helpful in, in making a decision of what you want to do. So exactly. uh, thank you so much for being on here. If people want to find you or know more about your companies, how can they do that? So they can um, email me at Betsy at magnet companies. So magnet companies, plural.com. And do you guys have a website with all your your um, different companies on it or anything? We do. We do. Um, and that's Magnet Companies. You can look that up uh, on the Google and uh, you'll find us. And you can buy Love Scene, obviously, at Target. You can buy Love Scene at Target. You can buy Love Scene online. Um, and you can see Jimmy Kimmel wearing um, the Wearing eyelashes. some beautiful lashes last night. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> And you can watch Real Housewives in June and see Jenna in action. And obviously all the Dear Media podcasts, you know, um, which there are plenty. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited for everyone to hear your story. You're the first one I've had on that is being curious enough to go to the other side of well, you know, media <laughs> with Glenn Beck. And I think everyone's being like, wait, what? Um, and But, you know, you learned a lot. You know, you learned a lot from it. So, and you know, that you were curious enough and by the way, brave enough to do it, knowing that you could come back in New York and literally, you know, have eggs thrown at you every day. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much, Betsy. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. <laughs>